We are so blessed to live in America. Now, for as long as I've known this church, we have had a God and Country rally every Independence Day to emphasize the impact that God has had upon our country, especially when it comes to the founding of our nation. We understand that without God, we would have no United States of America. And without God, we would not enjoy the liberties that we do. The proof of this statement is observable because the more we have rejected God as a nation, the more we have lost our liberties. The more we reject Christ, the more our liberties have eroded. And I don't think I need to convince anyone this morning that America continues to change. Many changes have been a clear departure from our founding. And as a result, our nation is in a mess today. The only hope for this land, this land of the free, is if we return to Christ. The Bible still says in Proverbs 14.34 that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And Psalm 33.12 still says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. If we want to see a return to liberty to true liberty, then this nation must turn to the Lord because when we know the Lord, we know the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will make us free. Not only are we blessed to be living in the United States of America, but I hope you understand how blessed we are to be living in the great state of South Dakota, especially during this time in history. Our motto is, Under God, the people rule. And I thank God we have a governor who stands for our Constitution and believes in the people's ability to govern themselves. She has more backbone than most of the governors running the other states. We are blessed indeed. And if we zoom in even closer, we are also blessed to live in one of the most patriotic pockets in America. Rapid City is known as the City of Presidents. Just down the road, a short distance, is Mount Rushmore. And at least to some degree, there's a constant reminder of our nation's heritage. We are blessed to have Ellsworth Air Force Base a short distance to our east. We are very blessed to have military presence represented in our church. Many of our church is made up of military veterans active duty members and guard members. And as a result, this has always been a very patriotic church. But would you agree with me today that true patriotism is becoming harder to find? Sadly, most do not take the time to learn our nation's history. This is evident by what we are seeing take place all around America today. Now, if you know our founding pastor's heart, then you know Pastor Williams loves God and country. He even wrote a short book entitled, Seeing God in the Bible in the United States Constitution. Pastor Williams has always stood for our freedoms. Some of you will remember back to 2010 when Pastor Williams came under fire for endorsing a candidate for governor of South Dakota. 
And thank God he refused to crawfish. He wouldn't back down. But he stood for his constitutional rights. And if you are interested, you can still find news articles out there online about that incident. On religiondispatches.org, there is an article dated June the 23rd, 2010, with the headline, Evangelical Pastor Tests First Amendment Waters. And the opening paragraphs read this. The Notorious Alliance Defense Fund, which seeks to abrogate the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, is at it again. It appears that they have recruited an evangelical minister, H. Wayne Williams, of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle in Rapid City to endorse a candidate for governor from the pulpit in hopes of taking his case all the way to the Supreme Court. Such advocacy, of course, violates the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits any 501c3 nonprofit organization from making political endorsements. Williams, for his part, seems to relish his role as a rogue. (laughs) They got that part right. As quoted in the Washington Times, the preacher asked, Why is it that I cannot walk with my master, my Lord, in speaking on government issues? I would welcome the history of my Baptist forefathers in going to jail over these issues. Williams said, I will not be silenced by intimidation. Of course, if the nitwit who wrote the article did his research, he would have learned that we are not a 501c3. Because Pastor Williams had enough wisdom back then to keep the government out of church affairs. Just as our Baptist forefathers believed. God has placed it on my heart to do a series on our Baptist history at some point on Sunday nights. I just haven't had peace about when yet, but it needs to be done because we need to know our Baptist history. Did you know that our nation would not have known the religious liberties we have enjoyed all these years had it not been for the Baptist? This is an undeniable fact. Now, you may think I'm overstating this, but if anything, I'm understating this. Because when you learn the truth about the role in which Baptists played in early colonial America and early on in the forming of these United States then you will see that this truth about our Baptist heritage cannot be denied. In fact, there is so much on the subject of how the Baptists shaped America's religious freedom that to try and preach one message and capture all that would be an impossibility. I would never be able to convey to you the full impact which Baptists have made in America's founding. But I want to take this morning and I just want to try and communicate to you today the events which led to the Baptists making such a profound impact upon America's founding and our First Amendment. And I want you to consider this morning a crash course on the First Amendment. There's a lot we could get into, and there's a lot that I'm going to have to fly 30,000 feet over and just skim it. But I hope by the end of this, you might have learned a little bit more about your Baptist heritage. And in order to better understand the First Amendment, we must understand the mindset of both the pilgrims and the Puritans. We sang about pilgrims' pride just a minute ago, and there was some good that came from that. But you need to understand their mindset when they arrived to this land. The pilgrims were known as separatists. They were separating themselves from the Anglican church, or 
the Church of England, because they felt that the break that they made from the Catholic Church in 1535 was not enough. They saw that instead of a pope, the Anglican Church substituted a king as their head instead. Therefore, they saw England as having repeated the corruption which they had originally separated from. The Puritans differed from the pilgrims in that they were not seeking to break away from the Anglican church, but they were seeking to purify the church from within, hence the name Puritans. And what is absolutely critical for you to know when it comes to the pilgrims and the Puritans in relation to this message this morning is that both groups, while they sought religious freedoms, they did not seek to give religious freedoms. This is very key to understand. Now the problem with both groups is that they brought with them the doctrine of infant baptism. And it was churches with this doctrine which became established by many colonial governments. Arguably, the two most notable colonies during this particular phase of what we're talking about would be Massachusetts and Virginia. The Anglican Church was the official established church. And while some colonies did not have an established uh, church, or maybe not necessarily as enforced as some of the colonies towards the north, if you go from Virginia northward, the Anglican doctrine of infant baptism permeated the land. And it was being cruelly enforced especially in Massachusetts. And the Baptists were the most persecuted group because they rejected infant baptism. And I know today it may be hard to fathom, but in those days and earlier, the Baptists were being killed because they rejected infant baptism and practiced believer's baptism as the Bible clearly teaches. And this disdain for those who dare to reject infant baptism continued after the Dark Ages, through the Reformation, and right into colonial America. For example, in Lynn, Massachusetts, in July of 1651, there were a group of Baptists who conducted a service. And during the service, two constables showed up. They had a warrant calling for the arrest of John Clark, Obadiah Holmes, and John Crandall. And though no baptisms were performed, it was the reason which was given for their arrest. These three Baptists were forced against their will to attend a Puritan church service where they refused to remove their hat. And you'll see why that's significant to mention that here in just a second. And they were detained that evening and brought before the local magistrates the next day. They were arraigned and they were to be taken to Boston where they would stand trial But before being taken to Boston, being good Baptist, John Clark conducted a church service. (laughs) And in that church service, Obadiah Holmes baptized three people by immersion. They were then taken to Boston as prisoners on 22 July and held there until their trial on 31 July. They were brought before Governor John Endicott for questioning. The charge against them was being Anabaptist which means they rejected infant baptism. You had pedo-baptists, which believed in infant baptism, 
Anabaptists which rejected infant baptism. And the charge against them was that they were Anabaptists. Governor Edencott said these three Baptist men, quote, deserved death. And he would not have such trash brought into his jurisdiction. They were charged with, number one, holding an unauthorized religious meeting. Number two, disrupting an authorized meeting by wearing their hats during the Puritan service that they were forced to attend. And I don't know what, the, what all that meant back then, but apparently it was very offensive. Number three, administering sacraments illegally. Number four, maintaining that the Massachusetts churches were not true churches. And number five, maintaining that infant baptism was false baptism. And they were sentenced without any accuser, without any evidence against them, any witness speaking out against them. And this was the case where Obadiah Holmes was famously whipped at the whipping post in Boston. And this began to make a very profound impact upon religion in America. The movement was an earnest plea for equal liberty of conscience in matters of faith. The word Baptist has been made into an acrostic that describes our eight distinctives. B is for biblical authority. We believe the Bible is our authority for all matters of faith and practice. A is for autonomy of the local church. We do not believe in having a church over us telling us how to do things, but we are under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. P is the priesthood of the believer. You're responsible for your home. Two, two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Individual soul liberty, and this is where we're going to hammer this morning. S is for saved and baptized church members. We believe the Bible to teach that. T is for two offices, pastor and deacon. Some say it stands for three offices, and they include the office of an evangelist. And S is for separation of church and state. And it's the I and that last S which has caused Baptists so much persecution. Individual soul liberty and separation of church and state. And the early colonial Baptists believed very strongly in this individual soul liberty. And as the United States began to be formed, they were the ones pushing for the separation of church and state. And the early colonial Baptists there were being persecuted in Massachusetts very severely. And there's a lot of examples that I could give you. And I'm going to try to stay on track because there's many of them. But this beating that took place of Obadiah Holmes after that, John Clark, he went to England to try and establish a charter for Rhode Island which would guarantee them religious freedom in Rhode Island. And a really long story short, John Clark wrote and secured what was known as the Rhode Island Charter of 1633. And I wish I had time to get into it all. But this document secured religious freedom in Rhode Island. It was significantly different from all other colonial charters. It gave them freedom to elect their own government. It gave them freedom to pass their own laws. It stipulated that no person residing in Rhode Island could be, quote, molested, punished, disquieted, or called in question for any differences in opinion in matters of religion. Keep in mind, this differed from the pilgrims and the Puritans who only sought religious freedoms but did not seek to give religious freedoms. 
Meanwhile, the Baptist minister, John Clark, he was securing freedoms for all people. All religions. In the charter, you will read that it is, quote, a lively experiment grounded upon gospel principles. And John Clark has been heralded by historian Thomas Bicknell as the, quote, founder of the first free commonwealth of the world on the basis of full liberty in religious concernments, end quote. The charter secured by Baptist pastor John Clark helped set the stage for religious freedom in America. Rhode Island became known as Rogue Island. They relished in their rogueness. They were given other nicknames such as the Perverse Sister, an Evil Genius, the Quintessence of Villainy. And I mention that just to highlight to you how much disdain they had for Baptist. Well, from that point forward, the momentum for individual soul liberty was continuing to grow in colonial America. And there were some victories along the way. In 1708, Connecticut passed what was called the First Dissenter Statute, which granted full liberty of worship to Anglicans and Baptists. But the very fact that they had to pass something which was granting liberty to Anglicans and Baptists illustrates how much grief the Anglicans were giving the Baptists. By and large, persecutions against the Baptists were continuing. And again, there's much that I have to pass over, but I'm going to fast forward to the 1770s. With government-run church, the citizens were being required to pay taxes in support of an established church, whether it violated their conscience or not. And if any refused, they could be imprisoned, have their land stripped away from them, banished from a colony, or even executed. Because Baptists rejected infant baptism, they were therefore forced to reject the governmental churches. And as such, many refused to pay support to the government churches because it violated doctrine as found in the Scripture. In Asheville, Massachusetts, Baptists were being forced to pay for building and repairing Presbyterian meeting houses and making up Presbyterian ministers' salaries. Though the Baptists presented a petition to the general court for relief, they were never granted an exemption from the ministerial taxes. The burden of these taxes had become so great upon the Baptists that they could no longer pay for themselves and pay for the other churches that they were being charged taxes for, especially the Presbyterian works there in Asheville. So the authorities seized, listen now, they have seized several hundred acres from Baptists that belonged to them, that they owned, they took it, and then they sold it at auction at a fraction of the cost to pay the taxes that were due. And in one instance in Asheville, a Baptist pastor's father, Mr. Smith, was made a prisoner before he was out of bed in the morning. There were warrants to search his house and shop, and Mr. Smith offered for them to use his keys so that they could get in easy and and do the inspections that they wanted to do. They were looking for counterfeit money. And when he obtained leave to go and pray with his family, one of the officers broke open his shop and destroyed the shop, did a lot of damage, and they carried him before the judge where where he was accused of using a counterfeit dollar, which was proved false, yet he still wasn't released. 
In the process of seeking relief from these mandated church taxes, the Baptists were told by authorities that they, quote, had a right to make that law and to keep the Baptists under it as long as they saw fit, end quote. And the pedo-Baptists of Ashfield, those who were practicing infant baptism, said the Baptists of Ashfield were not worthy of the protection of their legislator. And in early 1771, when a man who wrote against what happened in Asheville, Ashfield, they claimed he was employed by the enemies of America to defame and blacken the colonies and this town in particular. And this sort of treatment wasn't isolated to just one incident. This was all over the place going on in colonial America. In 1771, the state of Virginia jailed 50 Baptist worshipers for preaching the gospel contrary to the Anglican common book of prayer. In 1773, Baptists were frequently imprisoned for preaching without the authority of the state Uh, without the authority of the state church of Virginia. Nathaniel Saunders, a Baptist preacher, was one who was famously arrested during that time and imprisoned in Culpeper Prison. Or I should say Culpeper County Jail. In 1774, 18 Baptists were jailed in Massachusetts for refusing to pay taxes to support the Congregational Church. And in Virginia, as these Baptists were being jailed, as they were being targeted, as they were being persecuted for nothing more than preaching the gospel... That's what the charge was against them. They were preaching without the authority of the state church. It started to catch the attention of some lawyers. Most notably was Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. And it was through this that these founding fathers began to have a relationship with the Baptists. They became friends of the Baptists. And more importantly, they became influenced by the Baptist. But back to the issue of individual soul liberty, which was continuing to gain momentum, there were many prominent Baptists that really deserve a headline, but for this morning there were two in particular which really stood out for the fight for religious freedom and individual soul liberty, and that was Isaac Bacchus and John Leland. Isaac Bacchus was considered a leading orator of the pulpit of the American Revolution. And he wrote several key works. One which was key and predated the American Revolution was entitled An American, excuse me, An Appeal to the Public for Religious Liberty Against the Oppressions of the Present Day. It was written in 1773. You can find it free online. I bought it for Kindle. You can read it in a night. It's worth your time to read it. It's a short read, but it's really good. In this writing, he articulates the need for religious liberty and a separation of church and state. And the appeal was to individual soul liberty. Or as they termed it in in their day, an appeal to conscience. The Bible says in Romans 14, beginning in verse 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, 
and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account to himself to God. And this was kind of the rallying cry in colonial America among the Baptists. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The preaching was this. One day we're standing before God, amen? And government's not going to stand in your behalf. The state church isn't going to stand and answer in your behalf. But we will stand before God ourselves. And we will give an account to God for what we did with His Word. And in order for an individual to have a clear conscience with God, there must be individual soul liberty. And there must be a separation between church and state. Therefore, mankind should have an opportunity to practice his religion freely. Or at least that was the thinking that this would be an ideal situation. If we could just practice our religion freely, we can have a clear conscience with God. Amen. And these early Baptists knew all too well the evils of having the government controlling matters of religion. They were taking the brunt of the persecutions. They were not the only ones but they were taking the brunt of the persecutions and therefore they were the ones leading the charge for religious freedoms. Isaac Backus hammered out how civil authorities ought to have no representation in matters of religious affairs. Listen to what he wrote. Quote, In religion, each one has an equal right to judge for himself. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done not what an earthly representative hath done for him. In regard to forced taxation against a man's own conscience in matters of religion, he wrote this, because the very nature of such a practice implies an acknowledgement that civil power has a right to set one religious sect up above another, else why need we give certificates to them any more than they to us? It is a tacit allowance that they have a right to make laws about such things which we believe in our conscience, they have not. He went on to say this, It is evident that they claim a right to tax us from civil obligation as being the representatives of the people. But how came a civil community by any ecclesiastical power? Listen to this. How came the kingdoms of this world to have a right to govern in Christ's kingdom, which is not of this world? And he essentially goes on to state that if we allow any other authority to govern in matters of church affairs, it is the same as committing spiritual whoredoms and adultery. And to that I say amen and amen. Well, that publication was written in 1773. And on December 16th of that same year was the Boston Tea Party. And while the Baptists were fighting against ministerial taxation, the colonies were fighting against a different taxation, taxation without representation. Then in 1775, the war for independence broke out. 
On July 4th, 1776, 244 years ago today, the Declaration of Independence was ratified and the War for Independence did not end until 1783. And then in 1787, the United States Constitution was written. But there was a major problem. While the American Revolutionary War secured civil liberties, it did not secure religious liberties. Remember, we're talking about people who want religious freedom but are not wanting to give religious freedom at that period. And it was great that people were starting to have the civil liberties in which they went to war over, but the religious liberties were not yet secured. And there was an uneasiness among Baptists concerning the formation of a new nation without religious liberties because the state churches were still ongoing. And they were still persecuting the Baptists. So the Baptists, led by Isaac Bacchus and John Leland, they feared the Constitution, left the door open for tyranny to make a return, and they were therefore against the Constitution as was Patrick Henry and others. The Baptists were arguing that there needed to be an amendment to the Constitution to secure the blessings of liberty in which the preamble to the Constitution mentions. Well, word began to spread that the Baptists were against the Constitution, that they were not going to vote for this ratification without any protections for religious freedom. If religious freedom was in there, they said, we'll throw our support behind it. And you may be thinking, well, if they were persecuted, what's the big deal? Well, as is often the case in matters of persecution, believe it or not, things actually grow spiritually. And the Baptists, though they were persecuted, they were growing by leaps and bounds by numbers, numerically. It was really gaining traction, especially in Virginia. And so as they were gaining in numbers... This was a concern that they were going to reject the Constitution, especially for a nation that is brand new, trying to form, trying to stay unified. Now remember that Thomas Jefferson and James Madison had befriended the Baptist. And man, I wish I had time to get into it, but so did George Washington. But that's an account for another time. Really amazing account with George Washington and the Baptist. And the Baptists, namely Bacchus and Leland, worked with James Madison on the need for religious liberty. Well, John Leland, he had threatened to run for James Madison's seat in the House of Representatives. So politics are starting to get involved here. Because John Leland said, if you're not going to stand for us, I'll run for office. I'll take your seat and I'll fight for us. Well, the Baptists now represented a significant portion of Madison's voting district. And Madison, being a gifted politician, said, hey, we need to sit down together and we need to talk, John Leland. From that meeting, Leland agreed that he would not run for James Madison's seat so long as Madison would champion the Baptist concern for religious liberty for all. Madison kept his word And he pushed for the Bill of Rights, which are the first amendments, first ten amendments to the Constitution. And it was John Leland and Isaac Backus who provided the foundation for the First Amendment, which was ratified on December 15, 1791, which reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people Uh, to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 
Now, some may think this idea of the Baptist having this kind of impact on America is far-fetched. But what I'm telling you right now, this is an undeniable fact. I don't think they have torn this monument down yet. But if you go to the town of Orange, Virginia, and if you'll take Constitution Highway outside of Orange, about six miles to the east, you'll come to Leland Madison Memorial Park. This is the location where Baptist pastor John Leland met with Congressman James Madison in 1788 to discuss the idea of sending James Madison to press for a guarantee for religious freedom. And beneath the relief of John Leland, the monument reads, Elder John Leland, courageous leader of the Baptist doctrine, ardent, and I'm so glad it says Baptist doctrine. But then it goes on to say, ardent advocate of the principles of democracy, vindicator of separation of church and state. And below that, it goes on to read, quote, Near this spot in 1788, Elder John Leland and James Madison, the father of the American Constitution, held a significant interview which resulted in the adoption of the Constitution by Virginia. Then Madison, a member of Congress from Orange, presented the First Amendment to the Constitution guaranteeing religious liberty, free speech, and free press. This satisfied Leland and his Baptist followers, end quote. I mean, that's standing today. You can go see it. In fact, there's a lot of monuments out there that I hope don't get torn down on our our Baptist heritage. You can go to Rhode Island and see some pretty amazing stuff there. Just a quick side note right here. This is why we have to be careful which monuments we take down. Which ones stay up. Now you need to get this. One may be thinking that the Baptist intent was to make religion easier for the Baptist. But remember, the pilgrims came, the Puritans came, seeking religious freedom, but not to give religious freedom. Well, the Baptist believed in granting religious freedom for all. Leland stated this, quote, the notion of a Christian commonwealth should be exploded forever. Government should protect every man in thinking and speaking and speaking freely and see that one does not abuse another. The liberty I contend for is more than toleration. The very idea of toleration is despicable. It supposes that some have a preeminence above the rest to grant indulgence, whereas all should be equally free. Jews, Turks, pagans, and Christians, end quote. Now why could he champion for all religions to be able to freely exercise? Because he also said this, Truth disdains the aid of law for its defense. It, speaking of truth, will stand upon its own merits. In other words, don't be afraid of other religions when we're on equal religious footing because truth will always win. And finally, he said this, Every man must give an account of himself to God. And therefore, every man ought to be at liberty to serve God in a way that he can best reconcile to his conscience. If government can answer for individuals at the day of judgment, let men be controlled by it in religious matters. Otherwise, let men be free. 
It would be sinful for a man to surrender that to man which is to be kept sacred for God. End quote. So I want to tell you this morning, it is no exaggeration the role that Baptists have played in the founding of our nation and the religious liberties in which we have enjoyed. Without Baptist involvement in the political process, our First Amendment rights would not exist. Even Thomas Jefferson wrote this. There was a hope confidentially cherished about A.D. 1780 that there might be a state church throughout the United States. And this expectation was specially cherished by the Episcopalians and Congregationalists. John Adams believed in leaving the matter to the states, each state having its own establishment. This design, it was the work of the Baptists to frustrate. They did not want the Constitution of the United States, nor of any state, to be made a religious creed, but they were determined to have religious liberty for themselves and all the world. Now, our Baptist forefathers understood the significance of not having the government telling churches what to do as a matter of conscience and individual soul liberty. And because of the freedoms which are contained in our First Amendment, which the Baptists helped to secure, in no other country has the Baptist doctrine ever flourished as it has here. I think God honored the sacrifices of the Baptists which went before, which gave their lives for the Bible. And I know today we can't always trust the name on the church, but about 75% of the world's professing Baptists are in America. And this doesn't include those who have since dropped the name Baptist, still have Bible doctrine, and the churches that never had the name Baptist but practiced the same doctrine. Now I want to fast forward to 2020. What did we see when the COVID-19 outbreak happened? we saw some states and local governments telling churches what they can and can't do. And I hope this morning you can see why I was stating during those times of trying to make the right decision for our church that in order for me to have a clear conscience with God, that was the path I needed to take. Because it was a matter of individual soul liberty. It was a matter of conscience before God. And as Baptists, we need to remember the liberties our forefathers fought for. Because that battle belongs to us today. And if for some reason you weren't convinced before 2020, then you ought to be convinced now that the fight for religious liberty is ongoing. Someone has to stand their ground because the battle is not over. It just gets passed down to the next generation and the next generation. And every generation has to decide what they're going to do with the freedoms they inherited. It's now our generation's turn. And I could give you case after case, many of you know the cases as well, that even before 2020, the persecution against Christians being targeted by the government well before this pandemic response. But for sake of time, I'll save those for another day. But during the coronavirus outbreak, churches were caving to governmental orders to close left and right. And let me be clear, let me be absolutely clear, I am not suggesting that if a church closed, they were caving. Some were, some weren't. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't fault any pastor who willingly made the decision to close. And in some cases, it was warranted. But to be forced to do that is wrong. Even in the city of Custer, 
right here to the county just south of us. They passed a city ordinance to close churches within the city limits. And I talked briefly to Pastor Furs, and he said not one church within the city limits put up a fight. Now, in case you're wondering, they're outside the city limits. <laughs> not one church. In New York State, they tried to enforce coronavirus restrictions, limiting indoor religious gatherings to 25%, while other types of gatherings were only being limited to 50%. Thankfully, a federal judge blocked it, citing that churches were being treated less favorably than comparable secular activities. And I'm thankful that there's some godly judges still out there, or at least some common sense judges. And doubly good was how the judge, Gary Sharp, called out the governor and the mayor of New York City. The judge noted that both Cuomo and de Blasio expressed approval for protests against racism and police brutality while continuing to support restrictions on religious gatherings. Do you see the hypocrisy? He stated this, quote, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio could have just as easily discouraged protests short of condemning their message in the name of public health and exercise discretion to suspend enforcement for public safety reasons instead of encouraging what they knew was a flagrant disregard of the outdoor limits and social distancing rules, end quote. What are we going to do with the freedoms we have been gifted with from our Baptist forefathers? This year, the attack on our First Amendment rights was in mass in a way that I've never seen before. I remember court cases here and there before that time, but what we saw in March and April was unprecedented. In fact, it was appalling to me. Will we stand as Pastor Williams did and say as he did, I would welcome the history of my Baptist forefathers in going to jail over these issues. We need to figure out where we stand. Because all indications point to it's going to get worse and there's going to be more persecution unless God sends a sweeping revival to this nation, which I sure pray He does. And don't think that we can't make a difference in our day. Our Baptist forefathers were under great persecution in the American colonies, but they kept pressing for religious liberty and they didn't give up. They kept planting Bible-believing Baptist churches. That's what we need to keep doing. These early American Baptists decided it was better to obey God than man. And we need to be resolved to do the same. You know my heart, and I don't want to get off on this, but I'm just so burdened about it. Jesus Christ bled and died for the church. And may we never stand by and let some man tell us we can't exercise our God-given right to assemble. And we have a constitution which guarantees those rights. Well, I sure hope today helped to educate some of you a little bit concerning our Baptist history and how it ties to America's religious liberties, in particular our First Amendment, which, again, has benefited all religions. And I think that's so neat that the Baptists were not trying to set up their own church their own controlled church by the government. They were just wanting religious liberties for all. And though there are many varying degrees of Baptists today, and though some are whack, 
You don't have to shy away from being a Baptist. I want you to listen to this great excerpt from Charles Spurgeon's autobiography entitled Early Religious Impressions. He wrote this, quote, My mother said to me one day, Ah, Charles, I often prayed the Lord to make you a Christian, but I never asked that you might become a Baptist. He wrote, I could not resist the temptation to reply. Ah, mother, the Lord has answered your prayer with His usual bounty and given you exceeding abundantly above what you asked or thought. (laughs) Isn't that good? I could not verify that this quote was to Charles Spurgeon, but it's a wonderful quote, and it is said to have been a question asked to Charles Spurgeon. And I've been teasing my family with this for about three days, so you're going to get the answer now. It is said that somebody asked him, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? And he responded this. I'd be ashamed. We're not Baptists by choice. We're Baptists by conviction. We're Baptists because it's what the Bible says. Who will go to America? Tell me, brother, why not you? Let's pray 